0: So last night we had a, a wonderful community event called Christmas at the Parkway. Many of you were able to join us for that, many of you were uh, promoting it, even if you weren't able to make it to the day itself, so thank you for that, thank you for that wonderful occasion. We had more people last night than we did last year when we did this, so that's a pretty cool accomplishment. And uh, yeah, yeah like it, was, it was a really fun event, it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of goofiness, a lot of um, silliness there at the Parkway Theatre. One of the movies that we watched was one of my holiday favorite movies, which is the movie Elf, uh, an excellent movie starring Will Will Ferrell, who plays the character of Buddy the Elf. And Buddy grows up at the North Pole, uh, but he slowly, as time goes on, he's a little slow to realize this, but he finally figures out that he's actually not an elf, that he's a human. Uh, He has some differences from the other uh, occupants of the North Pole. So, for example, he's twice as tall as the other elves, and that's very strange to him. He has to shave his beard, and the elves don't really grow a beard. Also, he's really bad at making toys, and the elves are expert toy makers, you know, stuff like that. Well, finally, he figures it out. He figures out that he's actually a human, and he goes to New York in order to find his parents, And the good news is that he finds them, he finds his dad and and his wife and uh, son, he also makes some new friends, uh, but there's some bad news as well, because it's not easy for someone who grew up at the North Pole to live a normal life in New York City, and so Buddy the Elf gets in a lot of trouble. And at the end of the movie, or towards the end of the movie, Buddy the Elf, he he puts on his, his elf uniform again, and he's kind of sad, and he's walking through the streets of New York. Uh, He leaves his home. He decides he's going to go back to New York, and he finds himself standing on a bridge. And isn't it interesting that all the good Christmas movies involve their character standing on a bridge, right? Well, he looks down at the water that's flowing underneath the bridge. He looks up into the dark sky, and he says to himself, I don't belong anywhere, is what he says. And the imagery is clear, right? He's a man between two worlds, the world of humans and the world of elves. He's standing on a bridge, a place that symbolizes the place of of in-between. He's in between two worlds. He's standing in the dark, and he's looking upward, asking deep, dark questions. This is an Advent moment that's happening in the Christmas movie, Elf, which I'm very grateful for. So Advent is a dark time. It's a mysterious time. It's a time when we often feel like we're living in between two worlds. We have a way like we're outside of the world, or outside of these four walls, we have one way of behaving, of celebrating, of putting up lights, of throwing neighborhood parties where hundreds of people come and celebrate. You know, there's lots of carols that are being sung, parties. But then inside these walls, there's something different that happens. Inside these walls, we put up dark colors. We sing these eerie songs of of weeping and of longing. We have prophetic readings of the Lord coming back with might. You see, there's a stark contrast as well of the sentimentalized consumerism that we see outside that's put on by our culture throughout this month, which states that presents make everything better. And then we have what happens in here, where we hear about the authentic Christian gospel, that declares that we are all sinners in need of of rescue. And this might feel uncomfortable for us as we stand in between these two worlds. You see, the, the tension of Advent, though, is very intentional. Not only do we stand in the tension of culture, but we also stand within the tension of Christ's first coming and his second coming. We tell ourselves that not only is this just a preparation for Christmas, that's certainly an element of it, but Advent is a season of preparing for the coming of God Himself. This is a season of waiting. This is a season of watching. We stand between the tension of God's kingdom having been inaugurated by Jesus Christ, but then on the other hand, we realize that things still are not the way that they should be. There's still a lot of brokenness that's out there, darkness, questions. We stand in between the incarnation of God and the consummation of all creation. And sometimes it feels like we're standing on this bridge, looking up and saying, I don't belong anywhere. Well, there's no human in all of history that knows more of what that feels like than John the Baptist. John the Baptist encapsulates that feeling of standing in between two places. Now, last week we talked about John as well. Last week, we, we talked about John being this this prophet, standing out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the people, and today we see John in a very different situation, sitting in a cold prison. He goes from boldness and anticipation to now silence and doubt. He goes from proclaiming words of hope, those those words of hope probably still echoing in his ears as he now sits in prison, wondering what in the world is going on right now if you read this passage, if you pay attention to this passage, it's actually a little offensive for us to hear. Because here is John, the prophet of all prophets. He's so great that even the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied about him. Like, that's pretty cool, right? So he's the culmination of the entire Old Testament. Furthermore, he's family. He's family. He's actually Jesus' cousin. Like, he's, he grew up with Jesus. He knows him. Their moms know each other, Right? So is this how Jesus treats his friends? Is this how Jesus treats his family? Is this how Jesus treats those who he loves? If John is so good, then how could things turn out to be so bad for him? Well, these are all Advent questions. These are questions that our children ask us. These are questions that our co-workers ask us. These are questions that our neighbors ask us. Our our co-workers, our friends And if we're being honest, these are questions that we ask ourselves sometimes, too, isn't it? At some point, we all look into the darkness and say, God, things are not turning out the way that I thought they would. What in the world is going on? And if we don't ask these questions in Advent, then when else are we supposed to ask them? This is the season of tension, the season of darkness. So let's take a closer look at our story from Matthew's Gospel today in chapter 11. So first, what I'd like to ask us is, how in the world did John even end up in prison? Like, how did this happen? What is John doing in prison? We have to remind ourselves that John, his whole goal in life is to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare for God's arrival when Yahweh would would come down to earth. And what John is doing is John wants to, to see Israel presented as pure and white as she waits for the return of her king. In the same way John called out the hypocrites of the religious elite last week, now we see that John has called out the sin of Herod, the ruler. You see, what Herod had done, Herod, he's the ruler of the Jews at the moment installed by the Romans, what Herod had done, it, he had divorced his first wife and then he married his brother's wife. That's not okay. That's what we call as being adulterous. And this was, this was a public affair. Everybody knew about it at the time. And so John publicly and loudly condemned Herod's affair. Well, Herod's the ruler, and when you're the ruler in in those days and you don't like what someone is saying, what do you do? You put them away in jail. You silence them. And so that's what John had happen to him. He goes to prison. Well, Herod's new wife naturally hates John very much. No doubt the guards are chiding him day in and day out, calling him a fool, beating him, teasing him. And things are not looking well for John the prophet. And you don't have to be a prophet to know that John's days are numbered here. And so here's John the Baptist sitting in isolation in prison with nothing but his own thoughts to keep him company. So I would say that it's probably fair to to assume that John never expected to end up in prison. Do you remember the way in which he described the Messiah last week? Do you remember that story? out in the wilderness, telling everyone to come, and he says that Messiah is going to come with an axe in one hand and a pitchfork in the other. He says that the Messiah is coming to baptize everyone with fire. Like How terrifying is that? He thought the Messiah was going to come with power and might and judgment. But things unfolded a little bit differently, didn't they? Jesus certainly comes, and John points to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, get ready. Things are about to happen. But then their ministries begin to look very different. John taught in the wilderness. Jesus teaches in synagogues. John eats bugs and abstains from alcohol. And and Jesus goes to parties and makes alcohol. Everyone knew that John was a prophet. But the people got mad at Jesus because he hung out with tax collectors, those those Roman uh, sympathizers. And he hangs out with prostitutes. And so now John is sitting here in prison, the wild man, the intense one, and he's thinking, what happened here? Did I get the the memo wrong? Has this all been just one big, fat, colossal mistake? And some of you have been there before. Some of you know exactly what it's like to be in John's shoes. Some of you have spent years of your life pointing to Jesus, saying, look at Jesus. Here he is. He's the great one. For some of you, maybe it's been years on the mission field. For some of you, maybe it was on staff at a church. For some of you, maybe it's not vocational ministry, but it was just serving your heart out in a church. Or for some of you, maybe it was exercising your gifts of evangelism or, or, or just spending deep, intimate times with Jesus and personal devotion. But then at some point, stuff hit the fan and things fell apart and stuff didn't turn out the way that you thought it would be. And you were knocked into a spiritual prison of sorts. I know this because I know so many of your guys' stories and I hear this over and over again. And maybe you even doubted the meaning of it all. Maybe you asked Jesus in your prayers, has this just been one big colossal mistake? What am I doing here, Lord? The reality of now is not lining up with the dreams that I had in the past. So my question for you is, what did you do in that moment? How did things pan out for you? Or rather, if you're in that season right now, what are you doing about that situation that you're in? How are you handling that disappointment in life? And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, I've never been disappointed in my life. Everything's been turning out perfectly for me. If you're one of those two individuals in here who's thinking that, get ready. You hear laughter because that's not going to last very long. So what does John the Baptist do, the prophet sitting in jail? Well, do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't call it quits. He doesn't send a message to Herod and say, my bad, you know, you're, you're fine. You know, can you please let me go now? No, he doesn't recant anything that he's said. He also doesn't change his mind about Jesus either. But what does he, do? What does he actually do? Well, first, he confides in his friends. In those days, people were able to, to visit their friends in prison to encourage them. So he, he confides in some of his disciples there, his friends. They talk. And then second, he sends his questions to Jesus Through his friends, he sends his questions to Jesus. He still petitions the Lord. And he says to Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one? Or am I supposed to be waiting for someone else? Is someone else going to come and open up this jail door for me? So may we do the same. May we do the same as well. When we're locked away surrounded by doubts, questioning the meaning of all, wondering if we ever made any big, huge mistake. May we surround ourselves with our closest friends. May we process things together. May we pray with one another about our questions and our struggles. And then may we petition the Lord with each other. Jesus, this isn't how I thought things would go. Can you give me an answer, Lord? You see, John is a model for us all when things aren't going the way that we expect. So let's see how Jesus responds. Well, Jesus is not offended by John's questions. And that's a huge surprise, actually. That's a huge surprise. Like, if someone came to me asking these questions, I I, I probably wouldn't be as gracious, I'm ashamed to admit. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't shame him. He doesn't mock him or anything like that. And he very well could have. He could have said to John, Are you serious? Like, were you there at my baptism? Did you see the Holy Spirit come and descend on me? John, you were right there. Didn't you hear a voice from heaven speak over me? Like, Jesus could have said so many shaming things to John, couldn't he? But he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he responds with words of love, words of encouragement, words of building him up, words of hope. That's what he gives to John. He says to the disciples, go back and tell John. Tell John what you hear and what you see, what you hear and what you see. Listen to my words. What am I proclaiming? And look at my deeds. Look at the things that are actually happening right now. And then Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah, words that no doubt John the Baptist would have had memorized, would have thought about quite a bit, actually. Those famous lines, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, John, it's happening. The kingdom of heaven is happening. It's breaking into our world. It's unfolding right now. Look. Listen to my word. Look at my deeds. These are good instructions for us too, aren't they? Good instructions for us. When we struggle, when we doubt, when faith is lacking, listen to the words of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Pay attention to what he's saying to you there. Where the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Where we have promises of hope, and of love and of justice all throughout the scriptures. And surround yourselves with the deeds of Jesus, his church, the body of Christ, where we look at the lives of one another and we tell each other the stories of what Christ is doing in our lives, that God is still in the business of transforming lives. That's what all of us are here for today. So don't isolate yourselves when the doubt comes. It will come. Don't isolate yourself when that happens. But immerse yourselves in the words and the deeds of Jesus Christ. Tell yourself what you hear and what you see. So you know how um, those of you who have children and and maybe they're off in the other room like playing when you have some guests over when the adults are over and you know they can kind of hear you a a little bit. They're sort of eavesdropping and paying attention. And like sometimes in those moments it's fun to like brag on your kids because you you want them to know that you love them and you want them to know that by by them kind of eavesdropping and, and hearing how you brag on them with others. You know, you might say, like, oh, did you see how Maren was just helping so much at the Parkway the other day? Like, that was really cool. That was awesome. Did you see how Axel carried in the cross today when he walked in? Like, he was holding it so, so tall and straight. Like, he was doing a great job with that, you know? And, you know, when Lena invited all of her friends to the Parkway event and a ton of them came, like, how exciting was that, you know? And as a kid, maybe you, you've had those experiences of overhearing your parents brag on you like that. And it's just so heartwarming. Like, it, it, it's so encouraging. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does next. As John's disciples start to leave, and you can see there in verse 7, as they went away, so as they're walking away, Jesus decides to talk really loudly about John. He starts to brag on John. He starts to tell the crowds who are listening to him just how awesome John is. He says loudly to the crowd, when you all went to go see John, do you think he's just a reed in the wind? Do you think he's wishy-washy, just kind of being blown this way or that? Or do you think that, you know, he wears these fancy, expensive clothing? No, of course not. He wears this stinky camel clothing. (laughs) Jesus is saying, like, did you expect to go see a fad or some trend that was happening? Of course not. You went to go see the greatest prophet. In fact, of those born of women, which is kind of everyone, right, no one is greater than John the Baptist. So imagine those disciples going back and visiting John in jail, and saying, John, guess what Jesus said about you? Guess what he said about you? He loves you, John. You might be here in jail, but don't you forget that he loves you. He loves you so much. He thinks so highly of you. And the same is true of you. Jesus thinks so highly of you. He adores you, even when you doubt, even when you ask those questions. He doesn't want to shame you. He wants to tell you how much he loves you. In the midst of your struggles and doubts, even in those times of asking those dark, Advent, tough questions, those questions that might even annoy other people, they might tell you those questions aren't appropriate or whatever, Jesus wants to hear them. He wants to receive your questions because you are a son or a daughter of the kingdom. You are welcome at the table. And he wants to sit down and have a meal with you and talk to you about the things that are going on in your heart. So this is the hard part, though, of this story. This is what I, 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 I kind of wish it didn't turn out this way. I wish I could tell you that everything worked out for John, but it doesn't. He stays in jail, actually. And the truth is, is his life comes to a pretty tragic end. A guard comes in one day, asks John to step forward and kneel down, and the guard ends his life right there. He takes off John's head, and his head is then taken and put on a platter and paraded around at this party that's happening in Herod's palace. It's an absolute horrible story. It's a tragic end. Nobody wants that to happen to anyone. And I wish that I could tell you that that Jesus admitted that that was totally a fluke. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus stood up and said, I promise that will never happen again. What an outrage that is. That's not the case either. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, what Jesus says is, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These are tough words for us. What he's saying to us, in other words, is my kingdom is here. But not everyone's going to see it. Not everyone's going to notice it right away. Only some will be healed, is what Jesus is saying. Only some will be freed. I think what Jesus is telling us is that his kingdom is a hidden kingdom. And it's easy to miss out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yes, my grace and my power and my healing is breaking into the world. But the world is a violent one. It's a dark one. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so for so much of church history, this is what we see happening again and again and again. The story of John is a very common one. This is the ending of most of the apostles, those who were closest to Jesus. Many in the early church died in horrible ways as well, including women like St. Perpetua or St. Lucy, who we um, celebrated this last week in the church calendar. And even today, all around the church world, People who point to Jesus are being slaughtered. I think that's what Jesus meant when he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And if that's not Advent tension for you, I don't, I don't know what is. Well, thankfully, I think that one of the letters from the early church that we read today, the letter from the Apostle James, can actually be a bit helpful to us. James says this in verse 7. He says, Be patient, brothers and sisters. Be patient, for the judge is at the door. You see, brothers and sisters, suffering still happens. Doubt still plagues us. But know that the judge is coming. Know that not only is he coming, he's right there at the door. You can hear him kind of standing there and fidgeting a little bit. He wants to come in. He's getting ready to come in. The judge is at the door. The judge is at the door, and when he comes, we will all be surprised. Just as they were surprised back then, we're going to be surprised as well. You see, for when that door opens, we're going to be able to see the judge's face. We're going to see his hands. We're going to see his side. And we're going to know that this isn't just any judge. This is the judge who he himself was struck. This is the physician who was wounded himself. This is the friend who was betrayed This is a king who was killed. This is the one who John pointed at and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.